0: diving deeply into the book of Revelation beginning next Sunday the first Sunday in 2021 uh, what we will have for you guys uh, we'll probably have a, a table over here set up like we have in the past and we're going to have uh, three ring binders for you and so your your listening guides for the sermon will be uh, passed out to you weekly and then your discussion questions for, for those of you who are involved in our small groups that are going to be going deeper in discussion in small group settings. We'll have your small group discussion questions on the back of the listening guide. And so we'll give you a binder, let you start keeping a a record or a file, I guess, of of all of our messages. And I don't know how long it's going to take us and I don't really care because the book of Revelation is so comprehensive that it is a basically it is a study not just of the revealing of who Jesus is at the end of the age, but it's a study of the entire Bible itself and all of redemptive history is just wrapped up together in this wonderful book. It's the first time that I have ever had the privilege of teaching and preaching through the book of Revelation. I know many of you out here have probably studied the book um, before or, ha- or have studied it um, in great detail uh, in a church setting. But I promise you there's going to be some things that you've never thought of and that you've never seen before. And that is so relevant to where we are living in our time and in the culture and the day that we're in right now. It is just going to open up so many things to you. Uh, and again... Use this study as a tool or as a, a, a conversation piece, as you will, to, to bring people into the church, to talk to people about what's going on, to invite them to come and be a part of what's going on here. Because I promise you guys, whether people admit it or not, a lot of people are really worried, they're really scared, and they're really curious what is really happening in, in the world. You know, are the, are the things that we're seeing in our life and in our culture today Are these things that the Bible has talked about? Are these things that the Bible has predicted? Are these prophecies that are being fulfilled in our lifetime? All of those things are relevant. And I promise you, people are interested in what's happening and they want answers. They have lots of questions, but we need to be able to give them the right answers. The truth of what God's word really says, not not YouTube channels, right? Right? So there's a lot, of, a lot of crazy, wacko stuff out there that people are getting from YouTube and other outlets and things like that, and it's not necessarily according to the word of God. So guys, that's our opportunity that we have to do this. So you know, to keep that in mind as you have conversations and talk to people. It's a great chance to get them, uh, maybe to join you or invite them and bring them to church with you. All right, so what I wanted to do, hey, I'm getting just a little bit of feedback. Um, if you could, yeah, just back it off just a little bit. What I wanted to do today Uh, This is our last Sunday in 2020. All of us kind of have our own experience and perspective of what has happened this year. Um, The frustration, the confusion, the struggle, the difficulty, the change, the adjustment, the new normal, everything in in between. And so I thought, you know, what, what is a message that everyone needs to hear as we close out 2020 and we jump into a new year here in just a few days in 2021 and God brought me to this passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, and this is kind of a, it's kind of a segue as we, we close out 2020, this is what we need to hear, this is what we need to be reminded of as God's people, especially experiencing everything that we have this year. And then it's kind of a segue into the book of Revelation beginning next Sunday. And so if you have a copy of God's word, we're going to jump off into Hebrews chapter 12, this morning and the title of my message is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. If we have learned anything this year is that life is fragile. Life is uncertain. And life can change just like that. Think about it. Think about how our lives have changed. And I don't know if we'll ever go back to the way it was. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. But at the end of the day, I think that it was a wake-up call for not just the whole world, but especially for God's people to be reminded that where is our hope? In whom is our trust? You know, do we really understand what it means to be a citizen of heaven? Do we really understand what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that we're going to find here in Hebrews 12 is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hey guys, if anything we've learned in 2020 is our whole world was flipped upside down. Our whole culture, our nation, the whole world was shaken due to this crisis or pandemic or whatever it is that you want to call it. And then every all the other Peripheral issues associated with it. I mean, some of us have lost jobs. Many of us have lost loved ones. Some of us have lost security in the future. Many of us, there's a lot of uncertainty here in, in our nation politically, economically. You know, all of these things are at play. And I think that God is trying to get our attention to make sure that He wakes us up enough to recognize that we as His children are citizens of another kingdom. Now, listen. I've told you guys this before. I love the United States of America. We are blessed. There is a, this is a unique country. But listen to me. If your patriotism as, a, as a, an American city, a citizen exceeds that, as your understanding that you're a kingdom of God, a citizen of God's kingdom, there's something wrong with that. Your patriotism for the United States of America cannot be placed in preeminence or priority above the fact that we are citizens of another kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Very important that we hold on to that. Now, if we think about everything that has happened, how everything really is temporary, all the things that are fleeing away, all the things that are futile, all the things that are shaken, what I've been reminded of, guys, is that which is eternal. Only that which is eternal will last for how long? Forever. And that's what this whole passage is really about is it's getting our perspective back on those things which is eternal. The way that Hebrews 12 begins, I think it's it's important that we look at Hebrews 12:1 because it sets the context to what we're going to look into here later on in this chapter. But look look with me in Hebrews 12:1 because again, this is all about perspective. This is all about your focus. What is your focus? through the midst of all the uncertainty and chaos and confusion. Therefore, in Hebrews 12:1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, keeping our eyes fixed on who? On Jesus. He's the, he's the perfecter, excuse me, he's the founder and the perfector of our faith. In other words, he's the beginning and the what? And the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. That's who Jesus is. He, he never changes. And so that kind of sets the context to where we're going to go now as we jump into verse 18. So we're going to kind of go down to verse 18. And we're gonna, I'm gonna read to the end of the chapter here. So this is Hebrews 12, verse 18. And let's find out what it means to be a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I think you're gonna find some interesting things in here that that are appropriate to what we're gonna learn later in the book of Revelation. Hebrews 12, verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given that if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now you may say, what in the world are we talking about here? Very simple. We're talking about Mount Sinai. We're going to get into that more in just a minute. And so what the, what the author of Hebrews is saying right here, he's saying, listen, he's saying, you believers in Jesus Christ, okay, you have not come to this place, to this mountain where the people were terrified. And we're going to read the account here in just a moment. But just to remind you of what happened when the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai, the people were so afraid, they begged Moses, please don't let the Lord speak to us anymore unless we what? Die. They were so terrified to be in the presence of Almighty God that they were scared to hear another word from him. They said, Moses, you can speak to us. That's fine. You communicate to us. But we don't want to hear what he has to say anymore because they were terrified. Because they knew that they were in the presence of Almighty God. But look at what the author of Hebrews says. He, he goes on. So he's setting, he's setting the context. He's saying, we're not like those people who stood before the Lord on the mountain, on Sinai, but verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable angel's in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are written, whose names are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. Again, he's talking about Sinai. When the Lord spoke at Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may what? May remain. Stay with me. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence, And all for our God is a consuming fire. Guys, I'm going to tell you what, I could preach for weeks on this one passage. I'm going to do my best to get out of this message what I feel like God has given me to give to you today. But there is so much going on in this passage. And so here's how we're going to do it. We're going to first jump into the idea. Let's be reminded of the Exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and the coming of the Lord on Mount Sinai, which is this context. Again, there's a contrast going on here. If you didn't pick up on it, The author of Hebrews is contrasting what God's people experienced on that day as they met the Lord on Mount Sinai, terrorized in fear as he came down on the mountain in all of his power and glory. And he's saying, listen, we are not like them because we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken so that we are able to receive the Lord when he comes and we're not going to shrink back in fear when he comes yet a second time. So there's a contrast, there's a comparison going on here. So let's dig in a little bit deeper to see what the author is talking about. Number one, here's the first thing I want to share with you. The Exodus provides one of the most comprehensive prophetic profiles of the last days and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now this is a great example of what we're going to be getting into in the book of Revelation. If you don't know the Exodus story, you're going to miss half of what's going on in the book of Revelation. You see, we, we've become, and again, I'm not talking about you, but let's just say overall as a church, the church in general has become ignorant of the old what? The Old Testament. We, we just want to preach Jesus and the Gospels and the Epistles, and we forget about everything that's written, and two-thirds of the Scriptures written in the Old Testament. And guys, the reason that these things were given to us in the Old Testament and the way that they played out in the Old Testament were all prophetic patterns to teach us what was going to happen again. You know the old phrase, history, history repeats itself? Guys, that's what redemptive history is all about. Things that happened in the Old Testament will begin to be repeated, maybe in a little bit of a different flavor or a little bit of a different way, but they ultimately will be repeat, repeated and recycled in the last days right before the Lord Jesus comes. Well, what, let me give you some examples. You ready? Let's, let's talk about the, the story of the Exodus. In the story of the Exodus, the Israelites were held in captivity under a cruel master. He was the Pharaoh of Egypt. He was persecuting God's people. He was murdering the children uh, because they were becoming too numerous. So we see the spirit of Antichrist is working in this person called Pharaoh. So he's a picture, he's a prototype of the end times Antichrist. You tracking with me? And then to show God's power to deliver his people out of bondage, the Lord sends ten what? Plagues. Plagues. Ten plagues upon Egypt. Waters are turned to blood. There's darkness. There's hell. There's boils and sores and gnats and frogs and all this stuff. If you go back, read the story of the Exodus. God is sending all of these plagues on Egypt and on Pharaoh and all of the unbelievers. Do you recognize what was happening to the Israelites at the very same time? They were still in Egypt. God didn't take them out. He just what? He protected them. The same plagues that were being poured out on the Egyptians to harden Pharaoh and to prove who God was to the Egyptians and to Pharaoh, who's, again, a type of Antichrist, he's protecting all of the Israelites from this very same place. Guess what, guys? When you read the book of Revelation, what do you find? You find things like bowls and seals and trumpets, all of these plagues. And do you know what's interesting? When you begin to look at the plagues in the book of Revelation, many of them, if not most of them, mirror the plagues of what? of Egypt and Exodus. They're a mirror. Why do you think that is? Because God's trying to give us some kind of a clue in the the Exodus story about what's going to happen again in the last days during the Great Tribulation. In the same way that God protected his people through those plagues, he's going to protect us through this period called the Great Tribulation. You've got all of these parallels that are running here. Guess what? There were two witnesses that stood before Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron. Guess what we find in Revelation chapter 11? Two witnesses testifying, sharing the gospel, preaching before the beast. You see, there are false prophets in Egypt who can perform some of the same signs that Moses and Aaron were performing before Pharaoh. What do we find in the book of Revelation? The false prophet performing what? Miracles and signs and wonders, deceiving the whole world through these powers. Do you see the parallels? These things are amazing when you begin to break down and look at them in depth. Now, again, I don't have time to go into every single detail, but those are things that we will dig deeper in and investigate as we begin to study the book of Revelation. The second thing is let's look more specifically about the holy mountain, Mount Sinai. Now, remember the story. God delivers Egypt, excuse me, God delivers the Israelites. Pharaoh finally says, Let them go, get them out, after the firstborn of of all of Egypt was killed. That's the story of the Passover, right? We got all that connection going on. They leave. Pharaoh changes his mind, decides to pursue them. That's when God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites pass safely, and then he drowns Pharaoh and his army in the sea, delivering the Israelites. They they, they come across the water, through the water, as a new nation born. That was the day of their birth, basically, okay? Now, then he leads them to Sinai. Now, let's take a little bit of a closer look about what happened at Mount Sinai. In Hebrews 12, again, it says that it was so terrifying that the people could not endure what was happening. Even Moses said what? I'm trembling with fear. Moses, a man of God who knew God so intimately, he was terrified at what he saw on Mount Sinai. Why? Because this is the reality, guys. God came down... And revealed himself on the holy mountain Sinai in power and in glory. Don't miss this. This is all intentional. Now let me, let me just put it to you this way. We just celebrated Christmas. The story of Emmanuel. Which means what? God with us. So Jesus came down in the person of Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, came down in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? And he lived and walked and lived a perfect life. We know the story. He died the death we deserve. He was raised back to life to give us eternal life. All those things are so, so critical. That's essential to our understanding of the gospel. But do you realize that when Jesus walked the earth as a man, his glory was veiled? He didn't come walking around disintegrating everybody that he came into contact with, did he? No, last time I checked... He touched people and hugged them and blessed them and said, let the little children, what? Come unto me. So just to really stop and think for just a second, that human beings could touch God. Human beings could come into the presence of God and not be immediately disintegrated by his glory. See, we forget who God really is. The Bible says here, God is an all-consuming fire. Jesus He he clothed himself in humanity so that he wouldn't just destroy everybody simply by his appearance, simply by his presence. That's who he is. But guys, we forget what happened on Mount Sinai. When you go back and read the Old Testament, there has never been another account where God openly made himself visible in all of his power and glory than he did on that mountain on Sinai. Now, even on Sinai, there was some of his power and glory was still contained because had he not contained his power and glory, all the Israelites would have been what? They would have been killed. They would have immediately died in his presence. We forget how powerful and amazing and glorious God really is. So he still contained and veiled his glory in some way, but it was still such an amazing display of power and glory that the people didn't want to have anything to do with it. They were terrified. They wanted to run and hide. Think about that for just a second. Never again in history has that happened, but it's going to happen a second time. And that's when Jesus Christ, what, returns from heaven and comes down out of heaven to the earth in all power and glory. In the very same way that the Lord came down on Mount Sinai. Now, let me read Exodus 19 to give you a little bit of a context. Listen to the imagery. Listen to how this passage is described. I'm I'm reading from Exodus 19 in verse 16, okay? On the morning of the third day, that's interesting in and of itself. On the morning of the third day, listen listen to the description. There were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And a very loud trumpet blast. Is ringing any bells? Does that that sound familiar to anybody? So that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. Okay, picture this. They're going to meet God, okay. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Remember, he's an all-consuming what? Fire. That means wherever God goes, everything around it what? Burns up. We're going to get to more of that here in just a second. So Sinai was wrapped in smoke. He descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like a smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So there's an earthquake happening. There's a great earthquake. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Sound familiar? Think about the way the revelation of Jesus Christ is described. Jesus is coming in the clouds. Not just, you know, when you see depictions of Jesus coming on the clouds, isn't it isn't always just white, fluffy clouds, Right? I don't think it's going to be that way. I think he's coming in what kind of clouds? Dark clouds. Storm clouds. He's coming with the... He has to... Clothed and, and he has to surround himself with clouds in order to conceal his glory to some extent. But the clouds that we are given to describe the coming and the return of Jesus are just like the ones here on the book, in the book of Exodus on Mount Sinai. These are going to be dark clouds, thick gloom, darkness and not light. That's the way the day of the Lord is described, darkness, not light. Think about the way it was described, lightning and thunder and the blast or the blowing of the what? Trumpet. Those are all descriptions of how the Lord Jesus Christ will return. With the cry of a command and the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God will blast, and the Lord will descend from heaven in all of his power and glory. This is the picture, guys, of the Lord Jesus coming again, and the Exodus gives us a pattern. It gives us a template to look at, to know what it's going to be like when Jesus comes again. Listen to some of these passages out of the Old Testament. Listen, you're going to be very familiar with the Old Testament by the time we get finished with this study. It's critical. Ezekiel 30, this is what it says. Son of man, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, well, alas, for the day, for the day is near, the day of the Lord is near, it will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. The next passage I want to share is out of Zephaniah. Listen listen to this passage. The, the, The language here is just... It's it's so strong. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. A mighty man cries aloud there. The day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish, ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Is what it says in the book of Zephaniah. Listen to what it says in Joel 2. I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Guys, in the very same way that we see the Lord descend on Mount Sinai, now don't miss this. On that day, the Lord came what? He came down, He came to the earth, okay? He didn't hang out in the clouds. He didn't, he didn't float around up there and say, hello, look at me, I'm God. No, he came where? He came down. And when he touched the top of that mountain, what happened to the top of that mountain? It burned. It was consumed. It was, just, it was burnt to a crisp because God is an all-consuming fire. Picture Jesus coming down. The Exodus in Mount Sinai gives us a glimpse, a picture of what it will be like on that day. Now, the next thing I want to show you is that the Lord will come down from heaven again to remove all the mountains out of their place and judge the earth as an all-consuming fire. Now, I want to focus on this word mountain for just a second because the word mountain is a fascinating word in the scriptures. Okay? I'm going to give you a couple of different applications for this word mountain. The first thing about the word mountain is that mountains are prophetically significant to all of redemptive history. Think about how mountains play a role in the story of redemption. The Garden of Eden was a what? It was a mountain. Ezekiel 28 tells us that. There in Eden, on the mountain of God, on the assembly of the mount, the mount of assembly. The Garden of Eden Eden originally was a mountain then you see and if you continue to track with the story of redemption that when we read in genesis 6 when the sons of god saw the daughters of men and came down and took them as wives the the traditional place of their rebellion was another mountain it's in northern israel it's called mount hermon that's also the mount of transfiguration where jesus took his disciples up on the mountain You see, mountains play a big role in all of redemptive history. Then when we get past the flood and the rebellion at the Tower of Babel, do you know what they were trying to build there at Babel? They were trying to build an artificial mountain. That's what it was. It was was probably a ziggurat or a pyramid. It was an artificial mountain. In other words, this was their, their act of rebellion in defiance of the one true God. It was a mountain that God had to come and judge. And then Abraham was tested on a what? Mountain. He took his son Isaac up on Mount Moriah. And then we see Elijah. We see right here Mount Sinai. What a significant mountain. Then we see Elijah. He battled the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And then we see, of course, the mountain of mountains, which is Zion. Zion is the mountain where the city of Jerusalem is built. It's the mountain where our Lord and Savior was crucified. It's the mountain where he was resurrected. And it's going to be the mountain where he returns as king of kings and lord of lords to reign forever in the city of Jerusalem on the throne of David. And in that day, it says that Mount Zion will be exalted above all other what? Mountains. You see, that's just one way to look at mountains. Then the scriptures talk about mountains in another way. Mountains also are kingdoms. So when you read the scriptures and you hear things like there were seven mountains or um, in the book of Daniel, we're going to see that there were uh, a great mountain that was cut, not with human hands. Guys, what we're talking about is synonymous with kingdoms, empires on the earth. Let me give you a, a recap of some of the great kingdoms, mountains of human history. There was Babel. There was Egypt. Assyria. Babylon, Greece, Rome, you've got the Islamic Caliphate, the Ottoman Empire, Napoleon in France, Great Britain, even the United States of what? Of America is considered a mountain. It's a great kingdom, an empire that is on the face of the earth. Hitler's Germany was an attempt to create a kingdom of evil on the earth. Guys, all of these things are connected. And what I'm trying to share with you this morning is simply this. Is that when the Lord comes, he's coming to remove all the mountains of the earth. Now, here's another way to look at it. He's going to remove all the kingdoms of the earth. Okay? But you know what he's also going to do? He's literally going to shake and remove the mountains. I'm talking about Everest. I'm talking about... um, What's, what's the one, Mount McKinley up in, in Alaska? I'm talking about the big mountain chain, the Himalayas. I'm talking about all the mountain chains in the world. Just like the Lord shook the mountain on Sinai on the day that he came down, guys, it says when the Lord returns the second time, he's going to re- remove all of the mountains out of their what? Can we, can we stop for just a second and try to grasp that? You remember when, when uh, Japan had the nine-point-something earthquake several years ago with the massive tsunami? It said that the island of Japan moved like an inch. And you remember how bad of devastation it was for that island to move and shift one inch after that earthquake? Guess what the Bible says? That when Jesus comes, just prior to his actual coming down to the earth, every island will be removed from its place. And all the mountains will what are going to fall. Wrap your head around that for just a second. Let me give you a couple of uh, illustrations. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 6. When he opened the sixth seal, I look and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black, as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of sky fell to the earth as fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. And then the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. And listen, every mountain and island was removed from its place. That sounds pretty catastrophic to me. What would happen to our world if every mountain and island was removed from its place? It's devastation. Like, Like, that's it. That's the end. Okay, are you tracking with me? And look at what it says. Then the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, rich and powerful, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, saying, Please fall on us and hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? That's a big question that we have to answer. Who will be able to stand on that day? I could read so many passages of Scripture that, that paint the very same picture. Let me just give you a couple more. Isaiah 24. For the windows of heaven are opened, the foundations of the earth tremble, the earth is utterly broken and the earth is split apart, the earth is violently shaken, the earth staggers like a drunken man, it sways like a hut, it falls and it will not rise again. Guys, that hasn't happened yet but it's going to. Let me give you one more. It says, The the earth reeled and rocked, and the foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and a devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth and came from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. Guys, this is what I'm talking about. Kingdoms are falling Mountains are falling. The Lord is returning. Guys, this is what the book of Hebrews is trying to help us understand. It is the day when the kingdom of the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the day that we're talking about. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's when everything is completely laid waste and he's going to start it over. He's going to to renew the earth and establish his mountain, his kingdom above all other kingdoms. But there's only one problem if you didn't miss it. Is that when Jesus comes back, he's coming back as an all-consuming what? Fire. Guys, I don't know if we really understand that. Have you ever seen the the old films of them testing like atomic bombs in the desert where when they, de- when they uh, uh, ignite the bomb or whatever and then for like a, I don't know, like a 20-mile radius, it just what? It just, it just completely dissolves everything around it, okay? That's God times a billion. Are we, are we understanding what I'm talking about here? Listen, let me put it to you this way. God wants to give you and me a hug, Okay? He wants us to be able to come and what? Embrace him. But if we were to stand before God in all of his power and glory as an all-consuming fire, and we tried to even get near to him, what would happen to us? We would just die. We would just disintegrate. Y'all understand what I'm saying? It's not that God is mean and angry at all of us. It's just that we can't even be in his presence because of how glorious and powerful as an all-consuming fire. It's like it'd be like getting close to the surface of the sun. We just can't get that close to the surface of the sun, or we will dissolve. We'll disintegrate. God is times a billion compared to the sun. And when he comes, he's coming as an all-consuming fire. That's what the wrath of God is all about. It's all about the fire, the refining and purifying fire of God. Guys, this is a heavy topic. I understand that. But we can't overlook this. And what I want to challenge you with is this. It's that question I just asked. Who will be able to stand when he comes in all of that power and all of that glory? Who will be able to stand? Are we going to shrink back away? Are we going to be like the, the, the people I just read about who are trying to hide in the mountains? Why do you think they're trying to hide in the mountains and the caves? They're trying to get away from his fire. They're trying to get away from his all-consuming fire. But guys, there's no way to escape that day. And so the answer to the, my, my question is simply this, and this is my next point. Only those... Who will receive immortal bodies will be able to stand before God on the day, on that day, and inherit a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, it says this. It says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we, speaking of believers, but we will all be what? Changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the dead in Christ will first be raised, and then we, and then it says, All who are perishable, our perishable perishable bodies must be made imperishable, our mortal bodies must put on what? Immortality. Here's what I'm trying to get to you. Understand this unless you have a resurrected body and you receive an immortal body. By God, on the day of His coming, which is the day of our resurrection, you're going to burn in His fire. The only way you can stand and escape the judgment of God is if you receive a resurrected what? Body. Because our bodies right now are not fit for the kingdom of heaven. That's why we have to receive new what? New bodies. And when we receive new bodies, guys, God's fire will not kill us we will be able to stand. That's what is most important. That's the only thing that matters. And the only way you can be guaranteed to receive a new body and to be clothed with immortality is if you have your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you have been born again and that you are promised to receive a new body on the day that he what? On the day that he comes. And then we who, who are able to pass through the fire, because, don't, hey, don't, don't get me wrong, guys. Everything and everybody has to pass through the what? Through the fire. Everything you've ever done, everything that you've ever said, everything that we've ever built, anything that we've ever put our hands to, everything's going to be passed through the fire to be tested. And that which emerges on the other side is that which will inherit the kingdom of God. Everything else will be burned. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. And so if you're going to be here and inherit a kingdom that cannot be shaken, then you better make certain and sure today that you have been given a promise that you will receive a new body on the day that the Lord Jesus returns. If you don't, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Now, I'm going to say this last thing before I ask our praise team. I tell you what, our praise team, y'all come on up. Because, I mean, again, I've got so many things I could say, but I just want to end on this one thing. We live in a culture that preaches a false Jesus. All right? What do I mean by that? Do you know why so many pastors and preachers avoid things like the book of Revelation? Because if you preach the book of Revelation, you can't ignore the fact that Jesus is coming as an all consuming fire. Guess what, guys? That's not a popular message. I probably stepped on your toes today. I probably offended some of you. Because the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ is what? It's an offense. And the only way that other preachers and pastors and churches can preach a half representation of Jesus is to or books like the book of Revelation. Because we can preach the Jesus of love and grace, and he's our friend, and he's our buddy, and he knows what you're going through, and everything's good. He understands you. Listen, guys, that's only half of who Jesus is. We can't just preach Jesus is the lamb. He's also what? He's also the lion. We can't just preach Jesus as the the suffering servant. He's also the conquering king. You see, he is both. And when we ignore the Bible and when we we ignore the other side of Jesus at the expense of one, guys, we're not preaching who Jesus really is. And that's why the book of Revelation is neglected, and that's why pastors stay away from it, because they are too afraid of what man's going to say or what man's going to think of them than they are of what God thinks of them. And so when we start to unpack the book of Revelation, we're going to begin to look at Jesus. If you really love Jesus for who he really is, you're going to love the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation is the book of Jesus. It's the revealing of who he really is. And so, guys, we're going to go head first into this book, and it's going to open up your eyes to the fact that we better be ready. We better be ready for his coming because everybody has to pass through the fire. And only those who have received immortal bodies in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, only those will endure and come to side. Okay? So take that, process it however you want to, and be prepared next week because we're fixing to jump in with both feet and I'm very, very excited what God has to teach us through this next year. All right? Now, if you're here today, and this message maybe convicted you, or maybe you're, maybe you're afraid. Maybe you don't know if you're going to pass through the fire and be able to stand on the day. Listen, guys, why, today's the best day to give your life to Jesus. To, what better day could it be for you to come to know Jesus than today? Today is the day of what? Salvation. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for next week. We don't know nothing. None of that is guaranteed. There's only today. So, guys, if you're here today and you want to talk to me and you want to seek counsel, or maybe you want to come and trust Jesus For the very first time, I'll be right here as we sing our last song. Amen? All right, let's all pray together. Father, I want to thank you that you have made us citizens of a kingdom that will not be shaken. That on the day that you come, Jesus, Zion, the mountain of God, will be lifted up above all other mountains. And all the nations will come to you to pay you tribute as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, prepare us to be ready to face whatever it is that we may face in 2021. But more than anything, God, I pray that every person in this room, that their hearts and their souls are secure, that they have received you as Lord, and that they know on that day that they will stand and they will not shrink back at your coming. Lord Jesus, have mercy, help us to be faithful, and you may get all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, God.